Dr. Nicole Rouse was raised in Melbourne, Australia. She decided at an early age that she wanted to make veterinary medicine her life's work. She earned a degree with honors in animal science with a co-major in vision science from the University of Melbourne in 2003. Her honors thesis work led to the publication of a paper in veterinary ophthalmology in 2007. She then earned her veterinary degree with honors from the University of Sydney in 2008. After graduation, she and her husband moved to the UK where she worked in a two-doctor small animal practice near Norwich. In 2009, they moved back to Australia and she joined the Monash Veterinary Clinic where she completed her membership in small animal reproduction and was the co-author of a paper published in the journal Theriogenology. In 2017, Dr. Rouse joined Mont Albert Veterinary Surgery in Melbourne and she and her husband purchased the clinic in August of 2021. Please enjoy this conversation with Dr. Nicole Rouse as we discuss her education, practice evolution, and the entrepreneurial spirit which led her to become a practice owner and start a holistic veterinary business, which is the subject of an upcoming CIVT webinar. Dr. Rouse, thanks for taking the time to talk today. Thanks so much for having me, Neil. It's an absolute pleasure. I'm really excited to talk to you. So uh, where were you raised? Where was I raised? I am Australian born and bred. So coming to you uh, from Australia, I grew up in Melbourne and spent most of my childhood in Melbourne. So yeah, beautiful, beautiful city in Australia. A lot of pets growing up? Uh, probably a pretty typical childhood. We we had the a cat and a dog through most of my childhood. I think for the majority of my childhood, a cat was one that adopted us that was technically owned by you know, neighbours across the road, but as many cats do, they choose where they want to live uh, and then uh, usually a Labrador cross through most of my childhood too. When did you decide that you want to be a veterinarian? I'm, I think I'm absolutely the stereotype on this one too. I was about six, uh, according to my parents, and I decided I wanted to be a vet and never changed my mind. And I think I really did think everyone grew up knowing what they wanted to be and it wasn't until I became an adult that I realised that many people are still searching for what they want to do in life. So I'm really grateful that I always knew what I wanted to do and also that when I finally got to be a vet that I actually really did enjoy it because I know there's lots of people who grow up in a similar fashion and then when they get to the reality of the profession, it's not quite what they had pictured in their mind, which must be really challenging to reconcile and then to find your new path, wouldn't it? Yeah, I agree. It's, you know, when I see that people have had that issue, it's, it's you, you just feel so sorry for them because, you know, especially now with the, the student debt being so high and just to ha have put that much into a degree and then feel like that it's not for you afterwards. Absolutely. And you're, just your whole identity of just trying to figure out what you're going to do with your life. And I mean, we are absolutely so lucky in this day and age with technology. So many people, vets, everyone often have multiple careers or their hands in lots of different pies. Uh, so, you know, it's not really the one profession that it was even a generation ago. Um, so that's great. But still, what a challenge for people if that's not their, what they decide is going to be their calling for their profession. Oh, sure. But you're right. There's so many avenues that uh, that you can take with a veterinary degree. It's that That's mm. one beauty of it, you know? Absolutely. So where did you do your uh, university study? So I so I went through high school. I didn't get the grades in year 12, uh, which is our final year in Australia. 
uh, to get into vet school. I'm not 100% sure what it's like in the States, but in, in Australia, um, you need to get, I think in, it was 99.4. It was a really high grade to get into vet school. I actually ended up topping the state in costume design rather than anything in the science field. Uh, and I got into just a general science degree at the University of Melbourne, which is um, probably the top university in Melbourne but then worked really hard through my science degree, kept trying and trying, and eventually got into the University of Sydney. So moved to Sydney after my science degree when uh, to do my vet degree. So I went to both universities, which was lovely because they're both beautiful old unis. And, and so that was nine years of nonstop uni. Uh, so I would have been, I think, 27 before I got my first full-time job as a vet. But in hindsight, uh, even though obviously it's quite stressful trying to get into vet school, I was really grateful to not become a vet at 22, 23. I think it's such a huge amount of responsibility, especially these days with people perceiving pets as children, the, the fur children concept that we often talk about. I think it would have been too much responsibility as a 22-year-old to, to really deal with that. So, yeah, I think life works itself out how it's meant to. And I met my husband in Sydney. So, you know, who knows how my life would have panned out had I gotten to Melbourne Vet School. Oh, that's good. It is nice to go a couple of different places too, I think. I think so, yeah. We went, after I finished vet school, we went straight to England uh, because my husband's family's from England. So we went and travelled around and um, stayed at their place over there. And you know, before we decided to come back to Australia, settle down and have kids. So it was nice that we had a few different chapters of living in a different state because he was also from Melbourne and just happened to be in Sydney um, doing a job when we met. So, yeah, we, we had a couple of different chapters of living in different places before we settled back home in Melbourne. That's nice. Now we have to, before we move on, I want to talk about your interest in vision science. Yeah, vision science. So I, let me let me think back about that. So when I was doing my science degree, the basic sciences, I I didn't really have a particular reason, but I think I was looking at the options of subjects for your science degree and it was either you do geology, maths, physics, and, and I had a look and there was vision sciences and I was like, oh, that could be quite interesting. So I started studying vision sciences and just loved it, loved the idea of it, uh, and I actually ended up doing some a project with a veterinary ophthalmologist uh, by the name of Robin Stanley in Melbourne. He's quite a well-known ophthalmologist and spent time in his clinic and I just fell in love with vision sciences and I actually uh, spent so much time with him. We even wrote a paper together looking at uh, intraocular pressure in, in different dog breeds and uh, he really supported me and helped me get into vet school and I actually got into vet school and, and really thought I was going to be an ophthalmologist uh, but then I got sidetracked after graduation and ended up in a clinic after a UK stint in Melbourne that focused on reproduction and ended up doing my memberships in reproduction. So I, I I think probably, to be honest, my personality type is one that I I just get that kind of contagious enthusiasm. And I met when I did my vision sciences and I met people who were enthusiastic about that. I was like, oh, this is amazing. I love it. And then you know, headed off down the reproduction path because that was really exciting and enjoyable. So, yeah, I, I but I do, I love the vision sciences um, and I do still enjoy the ophthalmology side of it, 
Although I think we're very fortunate in being in a city practice, we have two ophthalmologists within a 30-minute drive of our clinic. So we don't tend to do very advanced ophthalmology uh, in general practice in Melbourne. It is nice to have the specialist close by. It is nice. We're sport for choice. Uh, And I'm 15 years graduated now. So Uh, I think as a new grad, it's not necessarily a blessing to have lots of specialists within a short drive because it's nice to be able to do everything, isn't it? You know, do all your cruciates and all the tricky stitch-ups and big surgeries. But once you've been out for a long time and you've kind of done all those things, it's quite nice to be able to really support the clients and and understand it all and, and offer them, you know, best practice. It is. We're in. We're in an interesting time here in the United States, where, you know, there the theme used to be to t- kind of for the general practitioner to take on everything, and yeah. then, you know, it was send everything to a specialist. But now, since COVID and the, um, just all the practices are stretched, especially the specialists. You know, when they have to wait weeks or months to get a specialist appointment, you know, it's falling back now to the general practitioner to reach back and start doing some more of those advanced things again, which is interesting. That's really interesting. And how the general practitioners coping with that? Are they excited by it or are they a bit um, daunted? Are they, are they taking it on? I think it's stressful. Yeah, they're taking it on, but I think, you know, it puts a lot of stress back on them because they feel like just with the the way the public has been and, and pressure and from clients and you want to do the best you can for them and are you doing the the best job and can you equal or come close to what a specialist is doing, you know, we try to do the best you can without having that specialist input. It's just Absolutely. an interesting time right now. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. We haven't had such an impact in Melbourne, but I think for us, it's more the emergency centres that have really been overstretched and so many of them still go on bypass where, you know, they're not taking emergencies really and you have to go to another clinic. The specialists haven't been as bad. I haven't had too many issues getting patients in for um, specialist surgery. So that's been okay. But definitely there's been a few issues with emergency staffing them really more than anything, not necessarily the workload. I think they've had a lot of trouble maintaining um, reasonable staffing levels because we would have oh, six, seven, eight emergency clinics in a in a reasonable area of, our, uh, area of us. So uh, I think it's just the staffing still. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I want to go back to your to the vision science thing for a minute. What was yeah. it like to uh, What was it like to publish a paper? You were were you in vet school when that happened? So I, when I was in, no, I would have. So in Melbourne, the science degree is three years, and then you do an honours year. Uh, and so I did the research with Robin, I believe, at the end of my third year. And then we published the paper. I would have still been in my honours year when we published it before I got into vet school because I remember putting the paper in my application for vet school. It was great. It was great. Robin wrote most of that paper. I've got to be honest, he did the legwork. But because I was doing my honours research, and I love research, absolutely love it, I, if, I hadn't, if I hadn't got into vet school, I would have ended up doing my PhD for sure. Absolutely love research. So yeah, that was a really great experience. Uh, since then, I, I published a paper um, on transcervical insemination in dogs in the reproduction field with another colleague. So we've done a couple and it's it's just really nice to think that you're contributing to science and because we, we love being evidence-based practitioners, don't we, as vets? So it's nice to think that 
you've actually made a contribution to the knowledge for other vets. Um, so, yeah, it was really nice. And I would have been quite young back then. So great experience. Yeah, it really is. Um, I think, you know, especially that that second paper when you're in practice, you know, mm. to, to be able to put something like that together and get it through the editorial process while working, um, you know, doing clinics, it's a lot, certainly in general practice, your clinic load is a lot heavier than someone in academia. And that, I mean, I just congratulate you on being able to oh, get those through. Oh, thank you. That, absolutely. That paper was a lot of work to put together. We, I remember uh, we finished the paper and we had the deadline. I to basically submit it before I went on maternity leave with uh, with my first child because we knew that um, if I went on maternity leave that, you know, the paper would just get forgotten for a while. So I there were a lot of late nights and uh, a lot of, you know, many, many hours. I was lucky to be writing it with my colleague that I worked with. So uh, we would set aside little chunks of time during clinical work to work on the paper and then obviously a few nights and things. And and I guess lots of people would question, could you really be bothered? But we were really passionate about the topic. We were um, writing a paper on at that time, which was basically trying to prove that the non-invasive technique of insemination was more effective than the surgical. So obviously the welfare of the animals. So I think you to want to publish a paper during clinical practice, you have to really believe in what you're doing and feel that it's going to make a difference uh and that was you know that was a really big moment when that finally got published we're really proud of that one. Oh, you should be so tell me about the practice you you went to in england after graduation so that was a practice in a town called windham uh so or you spell it like wymondham which is we we're talking earlier about <laughs> their pronunciation. Uh, <laughs> so just just outside of Norwich for anyone who knows the UK, and it was a so I would have been as I said twenty seven when I graduated. It was a new build clinic, but the gentleman that owned it would have been on the home stretch to retirement, and I had been uh, working as a vet nurse for basically my whole veterinary degree, which was amazing. I loved it. I don't know if they do that in the States a lot. Do a lot of vet students work as nurses? Yes. Yeah, yes. good. So I'd, I'd worked as a nurse in general practice and also really luckily in a specialist clinic in Sydney and uh, in the, so in the emergency department and also in the special specialist department. So I, I came as a graduate vet pretty confident with a lot of uh, technical skills, so nursing skills like putting intravenous catheters, managing tricky blood pressure and all of that sort of stuff. And that I landed in this general practice in a beautiful part of England that was with a gentleman that was close to retirement and hadn't apparently done a lot of CBD, a CPD through his career. So it was quite old school in a lot of ways. Um, you know, animals were pre-medicated with their non-steroidal, their antibiotic shot and their pre-med every case. And it was really, and I'm always quite open-minded and try not to be judgmental, but it was really fascinating to see what, you know, really still goes on, I guess, in a lot of clinics when they're not necessarily being progressive with the time. So, but then I also learned so much from him from a really practical point of view, what what I guess is necessary, what's not necessarily necessary, what you can really do in a practical way to help patients and clients and learn th- lots of things and not what to do, what to do. The clinic was 10-minute consult, so that was 
that was pretty wow. Uh, that and really challenging as a new grad. So to try and grapple with what the client wanted to deal with and then come up with a solution in 10 minutes. You can think of if you get a dog with an ear infection, there's no way you have time to do cytology. So you're just looking at the ear and essentially guessing what bug you're dealing with and then pulling a product off the shelf, which is not really good for antibiotic resistance and all those sort of issues. And of course, for the patient, because you, you just don't know um, exactly what you're dealing with. So there there are a lot of negatives and a lot of positives, but it was a really good learning experience. I think sometimes you learn more when it's not uh, best practice, if that makes sense. And it wasn't, I mean, I don't, I genuinely don't think the animals appeared to suffer under the care or anything like that, but I really learned a lot from that experience about how things could be done in a really different style of of practice and uh you know it was really beautiful living in another part of the world with my husband and no real responsibilities so lots and lots of positives i was only there for i think six months in the end though because we actually were in england when remember the gfc that was at the was that i've got to think back now it was at uh, end of 2008 started 2009 so we had trouble with my husband finding a job after we finished traveling so we only stayed for six months and then ended up coming home. That, uh, just the way you described the practice and that your observation on it is pretty interesting. You know, we talk about, there's an emphasis now for students here on veterinary students on, the, you know, a spectrum of care and, you know, the, the things that you can't always provide university level service to all of your clients. So getting that experience, like you said, that old school experience of, uh, what things you can do sometimes for, le- for less than the best is pretty interesting. Yeah, I think that it's really true. A lot of the a lot of the new grads struggle with um, not being able to f- provide best practice, and then also getting a bit overwhelmed trying to explain to clients every option, and then the clients get so confused because they've just you know they're lost. I think that the statistics on I know in the human space, and I assume it's the the pet space as well, that people only retain about 25% of what you tell them in a consult. So you can imagine if they've been offered all of the options. They're just, they're so, they've checked out completely. So it's, I think it is really good for the, for new grads to see that other side of things so that then they can get a better, maybe a better idea of how to um, share that with the owners and, and help guide them rather than offering them everything. That is a good point. So what kind of practice did you join when you moved back home? So when I moved back home, it was a busy small animal practice in Melbourne. And as I was saying, it has a focus on reproduction. So it probably would do more artificial inseminations than almost any other vet clinic in Australia. So and I had absolutely zero interest in reproduction when I joined that practice uh, to the point where, oh, I've got to be honest, I probably went into the clinic looking at breeders with a bit of a negative light, almost like, oh, you know, we should rescue every animal. We don't need to breed. More of a welfare, that kind of point of view. Uh, and I had no knowledge of reproduction. I don't think I really even knew that we measured progesterone levels for ovulation. I had just, you know, that went over the top of my head in vet school, I think. So I had came into it really fresh. Um, but again, absolutely loved it. And really got to understand it from the breeder's point of view and met some amazing breeders who were so passionate about doing the right thing 
and I found it so rewarding and absolutely the cliche of how could you not love puppies? It's so brilliant. Um, and it was a it was a really lovely, lovely clinic, really busy, so it really helped my efficiency. Uh, and I was there for I'd say I think about ten or twelve years, um, and was probably full time for five or six, and then had my first child went back casually. And then had my second pretty quickly. They're only 20 months apart, my my two kids. And between my kids, I ended up getting a, another casual job just to, you know, the life of working mums. Not that I really love the whole phrase working mums. It's working dads too, isn't it? It's, it's the family's responsibility. But um, it, it's challenging, I think, to try and figure out life after kids with with work and the priorities and all that. So, after having the kids, I was only working casually there uh, and at another clinic as well. But, no, it was a really, really good clinic. So much experience in every every area. But really, I ended up doing my memberships before I had kids uh, in reproduction and also got a lot of experience there with orthopaedics. So I was doing, you know, lots of D'Angelo's, Patella's. I think I even did a tibial wedge uh, before I had my first child. So great clinic, loved it. Oh, that's wonderful. And so where did you move next? I moved next to, uh, so in the clinic that I own now, so Montalbert Vet Surgery. So that's in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne. Not, It's actually probably 20 minutes from the other clinic I worked at. So all within a pretty close commute of, of home. And I, it was between the kids that my husband and I sort of had a good chat about where we wanted to go in our future. And we decided, and we always wanted to own a veterinary clinic. It was always our passion. My husband has absolutely nothing to do with the vet industry. He doesn't, um, he's not a vet, never has been. And we, but we always wanted to work together and we thought owning a business always had a a sort of more entrepreneur streak about me. Um, You know, I was the kid that we were walking around the, the neighborhood, knocking on doors, trying to wash cars over summer you know, that sort of thing, always trying that that style. So we really want to own a vet clinic. And so I actually ended up um, cold calling, which is not really in my personality, but I thought it's a good challenge, uh, all clinics within about a five-kilometre radius of where we lived. And uh, the Alan, who used to own Montalbert, was so lovely to me on the phone. Just I was quite open and honest. And he said, yeah, come in for a chat. And I walked into the clinic and I just immediately knew that this was a place where I wanted to stay. It, I think you you get just a feeling when you walk in somewhere, but it either feels right or it doesn't. And I walked in there and, it, look, it was not a beautifully renovated space in the slightest, but it just had a nice feeling about it. And I knew that that you just knew that the animal was being looked after. You knew that it had a good energy. Uh, and the clinic's almost 100 years old, so it's 100 next year. And so I started working there casually. Alan and I said, look, he wasn't in, he wasn't wanting to particularly sell, but it was, you know, maybe something he could consider in the next five years. So I said, well, why don't I just, we just start working here casually and let's just see how it all works out. And Alan and I got along so, so well, uh, loved the clinic and um, he, you know, he's fantastic. And so we ended up coming to terms and we bought the clinic, uh, We've had it just over 18 months, almost two years, but obviously the whole sale process takes a while. 
Um, so yeah, I just I just knew though. I absolutely knew. We we vaguely had a look at a couple of others, but it, I always had my heart set on owning this clinic. And I actually grew up not you know in the area, so I'd always knew of this clinic. And I love a good history. I'm a bit you know it's always nice to know that um, a business has been around for a long time. And I'm the fifth owner of Montalbert Vets and the first female owner. So the clients are lovely. We've had some that have been with us for the old, the longest standing client has been with us for 70 years. So she actually met the founder and she still remembers him uh, as a child. Her first, one of her first memories of, is of him walking up because obviously we'll do house calls to her home in his waistcoat, his briefcase and his like, you know, watch on a chain and coming up to check on the cat. And so it's just so charming to have all of those memories and the clients sharing them. So many clients from multiple generations. And and I think one of the things I love most about being a vet and what, you know, gets you going every day is just that relationship with, you know, humans and pets have and fostering that. So to have that in a clinic with such a long history and, and people just love sharing those stories, it just makes such a difference to every day. Oh, that's incredible. And to have a hundred year old practice is amazing. So you bought during COVID. Yeah, we did. I know. That's pretty crazy, isn't it? So yeah. but I was I was lucky that so COVID hit Australia March 2020 from memory. I think we all tried to block out that memory a little bit. So yeah. even though I bought during COVID, I didn't have to deal with the early COVID where, and I'm sure the States was the same, we were all car park consulting. There was protocols changing left, right and centre from the governments. Um, you know, we're all masked up, gowned up. It was That would have been so challenging those early days as a practice owner. I, when I came in, all the protocols were pretty well set. Um, I know I had a girlfriend who owned a clinic for 18 months before COVID hit and she it was so challenging for her because she was a young practice owner and then to be hit with all these logistical challenges and changes through COVID would have been really knocked you around. So, and Alan, when I bought, he stayed on for 18 months and one of the most amazing mentors you could ask for. So he basically held my hand every step of the way. So even though I bought in COVID, it was absolutely fine. It wasn't a challenge through that. That's wonderful. So how many veterinarians are in the practice? So when we took over, there was uh, no one worked full time. So we had, I was working sort of two days a week. Alan was working three. And we have another vet who uh, works 33 hours a week. And then uh, that was it. And now we have a full time, still a gentleman who does 33. I do two days in practice. We have a an amazing vet who does acupuncture and biomechanic work. She does two small days, another another vet. So about six vets in the end now. So we've grown we've grown quite a bit in just under two years. Uh, but it's only a two consulting room clinic, so it can get quite challenging fitting everyone in. Oh, geez. So you had mentioned when when you first started there that 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 the uh, it hadn't been renovated in a bit. D- did you and Max do some renovation then? Yeah, so when we took over, we uh, so if you can imagine the clinic with two consulting rooms, there wasn't actually a corridor between the two rooms. So you couldn't get from reception to the back treatment room without walking through a consulting room or without going outside. 
And so what would end up happening is you couldn't really have the two consulting rooms functioning together. So our first goal was to put a corridor in and also because the building, you know, was old, um, they had multiple different floors. It had this amazing orange vinyl in a few rooms. The walls were uh, two-tone blue. Do you, I don't know if you remember, I, I assume in the States, there was a trend, I don't even know what year it was, like 80s, 90s, where they would paint medical facilities blue. It was like a, yeah. a maybe calming colour. And so this yeah. really dated blue and then the trim was a slightly brighter blue. And it was just, it was terrible. Um, and all the, uh, there were all these photos of dogs that had passed away. They had all these collages. So, we, you know, they had a lot of charm about it, but I'm very minimalist. I like things clean and neat and plain. So basically we put the corridor up. We just did the floors. It was about a three-day renovation. It was quick. Um, we even kept the clinic operating the whole time. We would just walk through the back and yeah, we, we only really renovated the client-facing areas. So still out the back, we have a bit of blue and there's still a bit of orange vinyl left. So I think you do, you've got to keep a little bit of the old still if you can. You don't want to completely change it, do you? No, no. And I took a look at your website and the work you've done is phenomenal. I just love the look. Uh, it's really, really great. So congratulations. Oh, thank, you. thank you. That's really kind. I appreciate that. And when you say minimalist, I can I can get where you're coming from because just to see those exam rooms, they're beautiful, and that's what I would call it as minimalist for sure. Oh, thank you. I'm really I really don't love all the drug posters and things like that around clinics. I like to sort of make sure that clients believe and think that we're we're not aligned with a particular drug company, even though no one is with those drug posters up. But you just like to really make sure clients realize that you're you know, you're just doing what's best for their patients and not what you want to sell as such. Good point. Good point. Yeah. But the look is really wonderful. So Thank you. we don't want to talk too much because you've got the webinar coming up for CIVT, but tell me about your business venture. So I sort of alluded earlier that uh, I've always had a bit of an entrepreneur streak and I love that side of things. And I guess after having kids, I, so I graduated a very conventional vet, a kibble vet, didn't really think twice about antibiotic steroids, you know, just a very um, conventional vet. And then once I had kids, I started to think a little bit more about what you put in and on your body. I, I'd never eaten a huge amount of processed food, but I thought about eating a bit cleaner as well. I actually had gestational diabetes with my first child. And she had eczema as a kid. And then I was like, oh, the link between my biome and my diet, the diabetes. And then now that she has eczema, did that have any influence on it? And so then I started looking at more natural products and seeing what was on the market. And then that naturally translates to the way you practice, doesn't it? So I think oh, it's really common for people to have the, either their own health journey or with their children. And then it tweaks the way that they um, practice. So I started to explore more about natural therapies and I have to say and this is not a plug for CRVT at all but they were just it's the most wonderful platform for people exploring integrated practice because as a conventional vet you don't necessarily want to do a huge course straight up but I could pay for little webinars here and there to get a taste of what might interest me 
Um, and we, I joined a, a Facebook group and started learning about uh, different, a, a vet Facebook group started learning about different integrative therapies. And um, I, yeah, I won't give too much information, but basically I, I had an idea about something that's missing in the practice uh, that I could offer my patients that I thought had such a really big impact on the health of our pets and and I couldn't find it anywhere. And, you know, it's the classic story. You've got a gap in the market that we're not servicing our pets. The only way I could find it was with human-based products, but then could I trust them as a practitioner? And I didn't then have any control of the dose they were giving, the amount, the frequency. There was no education behind it. And I thought, this is just something that we're not offering. And I can create a, a business out of this to to obviously share with the patients and also then do something that I love. And so then I went down the journey of creating of creating this other business. Um, and I really love sharing my story about how that all, that all came about. It was a huge challenge and that was where COVID really was a blessing for me trying to create an e-commerce or an online business because there's so much work into product development training around starting a business and to be in lockdown and not be able to do anything was fantastic. I just got to really, you know, head down, tail up and just get into it and get it all organised. So we launched the business in November 2020. So that was six months into COVID. And then, as you remember, I sort of took over the clinic like less than a year after that. So two two baby businesses um, one very old in its background, but new to me, and then one brand new. And it's been a fantastic ride. I absolutely loved it. So what what a great uh, a great network of people I've created with the online business, learning all about other people who are involved in the dog business. It's in Australia we have a really good community of women in business, or they call them lady startups. So it, it's been just the most wonderful experience. Um, but Probably towards the end of last year, I was running both businesses, so the online business and the vet clinic by myself, um, and my husband was still working full-time, and then we had two the two young kids. Uh, luckily, my mum only lives a block away from where we are, so she's amazingly helpful, but we could see the path ahead was either I burn out or we make a change, and so we, um, my husband ended up um, resigning from his corporate career of 10 years and an amazing business, amazing job, but also he brings an absolute wealth of experience and he's joined both our businesses full-time since February this year and we just decided to back our family. So I can go into more detail if you like about the other business or, or we can keep it for the webinar. It's um, But, yeah, it's a really fun, really in, really great opportunity to share knowledge about integrative therapies and I, I hope by other people listening to the webinar they might have that idea that they might not have had the confidence just to give it a go and see what happens I think you only live once if you've got a great idea that you can share with the world and it's you're, you're filling a gap in the market that can improve pets lives and also challenge yourself and you grow and learn so much through starting a business you stretch yourself in ways you you never have you you, you know growth comes in, in the uncomfortable doesn't it and it's so true uh, I've grown in confidence it forces you to have an online presence I think so many people say oh I could never get behind the camera I don't know how you do a TikTok or a reel 
I absolutely was not one that grew up taking selfies in front of the camera. But when it's your own business and you have to grow it, there's just no choice, is there? So it's been a really challenging growth experience. I'm a huge believer in progress, not perfection. And I've absolutely loved the journey. So I really do look forward to sharing it on the webinar. Well, I I can't wait for it. Um, I'm very excited. I just can't imagine that the time drain, I guess, in a way, like you said, COVID was a blessing because to be able to get get a startup business off the ground, to uh, be running and owning a practice at the same time. And like you said, all of those things you had to, to put together. I mean, I've looked at your your materials for your business, this, you know, the other business and it's often I can just look at the phenomenal amount of work that you've done just with, you know, social media and marketing. And it's an incredible, I mean, it, you've really done a good job and, and I haven't, to be honest, I haven't seen another veterinary owned, um, business like yours with the amount of, um, marketing, the videos and, and, you know, the, just the things for owners. Um, so I congratulate you. It's, you've done a really good job. Thank you. That's really kind. That means a lot. I'm very proud of what we've achieved and there's so much more, so much more to achieve. Uh, but yeah, it's nice when you, when you feel like the hard work's paid off. So how's it been, you know, coming out of COVID, have you been able to um, do live events, so to speak, with the business and promote things that way? Yeah, so we had our big Australian vet conference last last week losing track of the time so we the Australian Vet Association has a big conference in once a year um, and it's nice to do that in person again after COVID rather than the virtual conferences as much as all the all the companies did so well turning it virtual it's nice to be back in person and they um, we recently signed up with a distributor so we now have a distributor distributing our products and that was the first time we've done an in-person event sharing our products with the industry I was a little bit nervous because our products have there's a little bit of controversy about you know what's in our products some people don't have a great understanding of them and so uh, I was a bit nervous how they'd be received but we had a great response a great feedback and so that was fantastic we also have um uh, we've done a couple of live events since COVID we call them the dog lover show in Australia I think they're like a mini version of super zoo and things you have over there so they've been wonderful just talking to the public, getting to know them. And I do spend a fair bit of time on Instagram and and TikTok. And so the I guess they're my mini live mini live events. And then I some of the clients come to the clinic and it's quite charming that they might have learned something about their pets. And if they're local enough to me, then coming to to meet me and chat more about that, it's it, that's really rewarding. So we don't do a lot of live events because they obviously take a huge amount of resources to put on. Uh, but what we've done has just been fantastic feedback, which I love. Oh, that's great. I imagine, you know, just with the way things have changed, you have to find some sort of balance. But I, I'm just thinking about you exhibiting at a veterinary conference, a traditional veterinary conference. You know, we have our holistic conferences over here, and I know you do too. Uh, but to, to, it must have taken a lot of courage to get, it's, it's certainly different being behind the table, isn't it, at a, at a vet conference? Yeah, absolutely. I think I was probably lucky because it was our distributor's stand, so it wasn't just our brand. Uh, and I guess since things like CBD oil are becoming a little bit more 
common knowledge. We're nowhere near you guys are in the States. It, it's still quite taboo over here. But some of those companies had their own stand. And I'm like, well, if they can do it and share it with the conventional vets, then absolutely we can do it as well. So it's probably a good, a good time to be doing it. Um, yeah, but as you're saying, we do have our own integrative streams or uh, inter- small integrative conferences. So it's you're a bit more confident in that in your little community where you know they believe you and and back you. Um, so it does take a little bit more courage to to step out into the conventional space. I think I often find myself probably uh, trying to educate and talk a bit more on fresh feeding and raw feeding when I get into these conversations as well, which my business is nothing about any of that but I think I'm so passionate about that as well so I get distracted on multiple different topics when talking to conventional vets. <laughs> so um, do you get good feedback from from owners uh, about the material that you put out about just the, the general veterinary care sort of things? Yeah definitely so the general veterinary care we I tend to focus um, not necessarily on all the topics that are specific to what we sell because I think it obviously getting trust and there's so many different topics to share about um but I get so many people reaching out and saying oh I didn't know that thank you I'll change that next week or you know education is power isn't it and we're in such a privileged position as veterinarians we're so incredibly trusted by majority of people Uh, and for a lot of people what we say is the gospel if and we we have to be very careful then about what we say and make sure there is evidence backing what we say. But they, the general public and the, I guess the modern pet owner, if we'd call them that, is so keen to do their best and to learn more and they just are like sponges. They just want that information. And so being a vet, i just so grateful to be in that position and I'll I'll share whatever I can as often as I can, um, but the the overwhelming majority uh, has been really positive um, uh, on the social media, which is where we we get a lot of it from. Good, good. Well, Nicole, I thank you so much. It was wonderful to hear your story. Um, I'm really looking forward to your webinar and hearing more about your business, and and uh, I just can't thank you enough for taking the time. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of the College of Integrative Veterinary Therapies. ZIVT provides world-leading education in natural medicine, including three accredited postgraduate qualifications, industry-recognized certifications, and a wide range of evidence-based courses and webinars delivered by qualified and experienced practitioners. By bridging cutting-edge science and tradition, CIVT helps you to expand your treatment options to tackle your most challenging cases. And whether you're a veterinarian veterinary technician or nurse, animal health professional, or someone who wants to learn more, they have the right course for you. Investigate their offerings at civtedu.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, we'd appreciate if you'd take the time to tell a friend and to give us a favorable rating on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for your support. We'll see you next time.